we have um, been teaching for a number of weeks uh, and, and used as text scriptures, jumping off points, if you will. First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23, first Thessalonians five, 23 and Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. First Thessalonians five, 23 says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, we've located the human spirit. We've talked about the difference between spirit and soul and body and, and uh, gone into some detail. Certainly haven't exhausted the subject. But we've been focusing on the spirit of man because that's the important part of man. That's the part of man that's recreated. That's what Jesus came to the earth for, is for the recreation of the human spirit. You remember Jesus gave an example you, uh, the example went something like this. Uh, he told his disciples and those others that were gathered around, he said, you can't put new wine in old wineskins because the old wineskins can't handle it. They will burst and then the wine is spilled. Well, he's not talking about wine and wineskins. Jesus isn't, isn't giving us the finer points on storing wine. Jesus is talking, using that as an illustration about the spirit of man. In other words, he's saying you can't put the spirit of God, the new life of God, in an old spirit, an unrecreated spirit. You can't put a, a living spirit, the living spirit of God, in a spiritually dead person. So the new birth is two things. It's first the recreation of the human spirit. God makes your spirit and my spirit new when we accept Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And then secondly, once that's done, now I don't, I don't, I don't know what the timing is here. You know, I mean, is it a half a second? Is it a quarter of a second? I don't know how long it is. It's, to us, it seems instantaneous. But there are two separate things that are taking place. First, the recreated, the recreation of the human spirit. First Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Well, we know things of the soul don't become new at the new birth. If you have an interest in sports, once you get born again, that interest in sports doesn't all of a sudden change to an interest in spiritual things. Well, physical things don't become new at the new birth. You know, your hair color doesn't change or your eye color doesn't change. Or if you're bald when you get saved, all of a sudden you don't grow hair as soon as you say amen. So it's not physical things that have become new. It's not, it's not soulish things that have become new. They're spiritual things that become new. Old things have passed away. Literally, the old man passes away. The old spirit passes away. Behold, all things, the new spirit is become new. New things, meaning the things that God changes at the new birth. Now, immediately following that, God said in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37, he said, and I'll put my spirit within you. Well, he can't do that unless you're recreated. Your old spirit is recreated. God can't put his spirit in a spiritually dead man. This notion that the, that's, that's, uh, well, it's common in some circles about saying we're all children of God because we're all the family of man. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because the family of God, by and large, Jesus said the whole world lies in darkness. He's talking about the family of man. The family of man, by and large, is spiritually dead. And unless something takes place to change that spiritual death, that condition of spiritual death, he can't receive the things of God. He can't even know the things of God. You remember over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says the natural man, that's talking about the spiritually dead man. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolishness unto him. A spiritually dead person can't even know the things of God. Now, it doesn't mean he can't hear about God. It doesn't mean he can't hear. It doesn't mean that he can't even study theology. 
I'm convinced by looking after the writings of certain people and, and uh, uh, even certain people in seminaries and so forth, there's a lot of spiritually dead men trying to teach other people about God. But the Bible says the spiritually dead person can't even know the things of God. The knowing he's talking about, that knowledge he's talking about is a spiritual knowledge. He's talking about becoming acquainted. You remember that was the issue when uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3. He said, Rabbi, we know you've come from God because nobody can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. What did Jesus say? It seems almost from the King James, it seems almost that Jesus changed the subject. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the things of the kingdom of heaven. Huh? Nicodemus is talking about the things of God, the things that belong to the kingdom of God, when he talks about signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus said, here's how you get there. It's through the new birth. It's what Jesus came to bring. Now, again, in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, it says the spirit of man, not the mind or the soul of man, not the body of man. It says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. I'll remind you of a couple other scriptures that we've looked at before, or at least some of them we've looked at before. I'm not sure about all of them. Psalm 18, verse 28, it says, The Lord will light my candle. He will enlighten my darkness. So put that together with Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. The Lord's the one that lights your candle. The candle he's talking about is the spirit, the spirit man within. The Lord lights your candle. How does he do that? Through the life of God, the new birth. The Lord lights my candle. What will be the effect of that? He will enlighten my darkness. That means he'll guide my path. He'll guide my steps. Now, let me remind you of some other scriptures. Over in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, The word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So if the, if the, these things are true, if all these scriptures are true, then that means the way that God is going to enlighten your darkness is through the word. Through your spirit. Not through your mind, not through your body, but through your spirit. It means that God is going to show you which way to go. He's going to provide the lamp or the direction for your path, for your steps, through his word, through your spirit. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. Well, if God enlightens you through your spirit, because the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly, then that means the entrance of God's word is the thing that causes the light to come on to begin with. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, we're born again through the incorruptible seed of God's word. The new birth comes through the word of God. But then every other direction has to come through the word of God too. Because it comes through your spirit. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It gives understanding to the simple. That means... That in order to see and understand and to perceive God's direction in our life, we're going to have to develop in spirit. But it also means that it's impossible for spiritual development to take place apart from God's word. In other words, it doesn't matter how long I've been saved. What matters is how much attention I give to his word. Spiritual development doesn't come as a result of longevity in the family of God. You can be a 50-year-old baby in Christ. Or you can be a two-year-old that's growing in the wisdom and the nature and the maturing, thing, maturing in the things of God. It has nothing to do with time. It has to do with attention. It has to do with the place that you give the Word of God in your own life.
Now, we've, uh, we've made this comment before, and I think I started this several weeks ago, and I, I can't seem to get off point one. But there are four points to spiritual development. Point number one is to meditate in the Word. We've looked at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 several times. God told Joshua that the key to success, the key to taking over in, uh, from Moses, replacing Moses as the children of, of Israel successfully, he said, this book of the law, that means the Word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. First thing God told Joshua to do is to meditate in the Word. How do you do that? Well, it must have something to do with your mouth because that's what God said. He said the word can't depart out of your mouth. That means you have to keep saying it over and over and over again to yourselves. Now, folks, we've said this before, but it bears repetition. The biggest knock, the biggest uh, complaint, the biggest objection to those that are that are considered to be in the word of faith circles is not faith in God's word. Everybody knows that you have to have faith in God's word. It's confession. So you take the confession part out of it and nobody kicks about the faith message. They may want to adjust it. They want to, they may want to say, well, it won't always work. I mean, you never know what God's going to do. And a lot of people don't know what God's going to do. There's no question about that. That's a true statement. Some people never know what God's going to do because they don't know the word. But the real objection to the faith message, the so-called faith message, I don't believe there's any such thing. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. There's the message of the word that produces faith. But it's not a faith message. It's just the word. So if faith is present, it's because somebody's heard the word. And the reverse is true, just as, uh, just as true. If you haven't heard the word, it's impossible to have faith. Now, think about all the people that you know, all the Christians that you know that are going around saying that they they have faith in God, yet they couldn't tell you what the Word says to save their life. I see it week after week after week. Somebody will come up, usually in healing school. Somebody will come up in the healing school. If we haven't ministered to the sick, we haven't prayed for people, they'll come up and they'll say, Pastor Mike, here's my situation. Here's what the doctor said. I need you to pray for me. My question to them is always the same. What does the Word say? Just because I know what the Word says doesn't mean it's going to work for them. That's one of the greatest, uh, I, I don't want to use the word disappointments because I've learned, but it's, uh, it's one of the greatest frustrations. Let me use the word frustration. One of the greatest frustrations in pastoring is that you can't believe for people and you can't make them believe. It's very rare that I can believe for somebody. They've got to be a bona fide baby Christian. It's very rare that I can believe for somebody and I can't make people believe. I can't make them see the truth. You know, have you heard the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Well, you can produce, you can provide the teaching of the word. You can provide the truth of the word for somebody, but you can't make them believe it. And over and over and over again, people come and say, Pastor Mike, I need you to pray for me. The doctor said this. I've got this situation or whatever. My question's always the same. What does the word say? And so many times people have this response, and I guess they know that we consider faith to be an important element. Maybe we preached on it earlier in the service or whatever the case is. And so they'll say, oh, Pastor Mike, I believe God. I have faith. I'm always suspect when people won't answer the question, what does the Word say? Usually that means they don't know. But they'll come up with things like, oh, I have faith. Well, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you have faith, that means you know something about the word. So why won't you tell me what the word says? There is no spiritual development apart from the word, folks. 
None. I don't care how famous somebody is. Uh, one thing I've noticed about Billy Graham, and he's getting on up in years, and, and uh, I think it's up to him, at least from the interviews that I've seen, if it was up to him, he'd already be gone home. It, by the way, it is up to him. He just doesn't know. But one thing that I've noticed that he said, people have asked him, if you could do it over again, if you could live your life over again and live, you know, do your uh, ministry, work your ministry again, start over from the beginning, what would you do differently? I've been amazed at his response. His response. Now, here's the, here's the most famous preacher of our day. And he said, I'd spend more time reading the word. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't go to so many cities. I'd spend more time fellowshipping with the, with God in prayer and reading the word. Interesting, isn't it? For somebody that, that the rest of the world would look at as the guy that's done it all. He says, I wish I knew more of the word. Because, folks... There's a heart hunger. There's a heart hunger for fellowship with God that cannot be satisfied. Spiritual development is the only thing that can satisfy that. Developing in spirit is the only thing that will ever meet the heart hunger of man, and that can come one and only one way, and that is through the Word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, here I'm doing it again. Point number one is meditating the Word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. To what end? Point number two, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Point number one is to meditate in the word by speaking it to yourself again and again. Point number two is to do the word. Be a practicer of the word. Now, I don't mean practice from the standpoint of uh, like you'd practice the piano. I mean practice from the standpoint that a doctor practices medicine or a lawyer practices law. Practice from the standpoint of making it the business of your life. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, James 1.21 says. Deceiving your own selves. We've got a lot of self-deceived Christians. See, it's not just knowledge of the word alone that's going to really do it. And really, spiritual knowledge comes not through hearing the word, not even through reading the word, not even entirely or exclusively from meditating in the word. Knowledge of the word comes by acting on it. For example, somebody might fix your favorite food, might lay out the biggest banquet of everything that you like, nothing on there that you don't like, everything on the table that you do like. It's not going to do you a bit of good unless you sit down and eat. That's the way doing the Word is. Just having knowledge of something, just hearing that something is there or something is available won't do you any good unless you eat it. Now, the end of that scripture says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, after meditating and after doing the word, for then thou, you, shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. The Amplified Translation says, You shall deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, it's a, a given that you couldn't, have good success in this life unless you learn to deal wisely in this life's affairs. So you can see how that fits. And notice you determine your prosperity, you determine your success through your attitude toward the Word, not God. Prayers that we pray, Lord, prosper us, are wasted prayers. 
Because there's only one way, and uh, there is only one way, there's one way and one way only that it takes place, and that is through the attention that the individual gives the Word. Now, step number three, or point number three, after you meditate in the Word and be a doer of the Word, step number three, or uh, I'm sorry, I keep calling them steps, they're really not steps, because they're all interrelated, interrelated and intertwined together. Point number three is to give the Word first place in your life. You remember in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Why? Verse 22. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Well, wait a minute. How can you attend to something you hadn't found? They're life unto those that find them. Seems like a paradox. You can't attend to something you hadn't found, but it's only through finding them that brings you life and health. What is he talking about? He's saying there's a lot more than just having knowledge of the Bible saying something. It means giving attention to it will cause you to have greater understanding. It'll cause you to find the truth of what's there and find the blessing that God has promised. And it comes through the attention of the Word. Finally, the fourth point, after you've meditated in the Word, after you've been a doer of the Word, after you've given the Word first place in your life, point number four is instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Now, i got to tell you, when I first started hearing Brother Hagin say these things, I was so green in this stuff that, that it was it's not even funny. I'm embarrassed to look back at where I started. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. But I was so green in these things that here's how I heard this. And the, the enemy used it against me rather than as a blessing. It was intended as a blessing, but the devil used it against me because Brother Hagin mentioned and, and called them steps. Now, he meant steps the same way that I mean steps, but I heard them as steps. Step number one, step number two, step number three, step number four. All right, I want to get to step number four because that when I learn to hear the voice of God in my spirit, that's when he's going to lead me into victory. And, boy, I needed a lot of victory. I was so far in the hole. It seemed like digging into China was closer than coming out the top. I mean, it just seemed like the weight of the world was on me. I, I needed help in every area. There wasn't any area that I was okay in. It seemed like I'm juggling, you know, uh, trying to balance everything at once because everything, every area is going wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I heard Brother Hagin talk about these four steps. Step number one is meditate in the Word. Step number two is be a doer of the Word. Okay, I'm willing to do all of this stuff. Step number three is to give the Word of God first place in your life. And then finally, after doing that, and who knows how long that's going to take. Because this stuff doesn't work overnight, you know. Who knows how many years it's going to take of meditating in the Word and being a doer of the Word and giving the Word first place. But somewhere along the way, I mean, after at that point in time, Brother Hagin had been in the ministry for about 40 years. So he's talking from experience. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I've got 30 years ahead of me before it starts working for me. And that's the way the devil used it against me. Because I was trying to get to the place where I could hear the voice of God on the inside. I didn't think I could. I wasn't aware of things that I had heard from the Lord. Well, there were a couple of things that I could look at, but I, I didn't really look at them as a, as a result of my spiritual development or spiritual maturity. It, I, see, I saw those things as God just kind of helping me out, knowing that I was too stupid to find my way around. And so what was meant to be a blessing, the devil was keeping me held back. But I had an experience a lot of which I didn't understand at the time, a lot of which I didn't see. A lot of the things I'm going to tell you I didn't see at the moment. But looking back at it, I can see how it works a little better now. I went to, uh, I went to Raymond uh, 
uh, the fall of 1980. And I uh, had enough money to register for school and, and pay the first month's tuition. Uh, had enough money left over to, to put a deposit down on a place to live right across from the school. But I, that was it. I was out of money. I, well, I take that back. I opened a, a checking account with $10. That was my last $10. They made an exception for me to open the checking account with that little money. I think they saw trouble when they, you know, they recognized trouble when they saw it. But they, anyway, they did. And that was it. I was out of money. So I had to find a job, and I did. I found a couple of jobs, found a couple of things that I could do, and I started working hard. But you know how it is, starting a new job. It takes a while for money to start coming in. And even after money did start coming in, there wasn't enough money because the, the jobs that I was working, at least one of the jobs I was working, was uh, an outside job. It was starting to get cold weather. And so it was raining a lot, and so I was washed out, and so a lot of the money I was counting on coming from that job didn't come in. Now, I know nothing like that's ever happened to you. I know every time you've planned for things to work out for your finances, it's always just gone smooth as silk, right? Well, of course, it always does, huh? So I was running into trouble. I got one month into school and missed that tuition payment. And so they called me in. I wasn't the only one, but they called me in from school and said, all right, now, we've learned something. We've learned when people start having trouble making their tuition payments, they're going to have trouble all the way through the year. So here's what you're going to have to do. You've got a week to come up with the money that you need to pay your tuition, but not just for this month that you're behind now, but for the rest of the year. And it was something like eleven or $1,200. I don't remember exactly, but it was over $1,000. Well, folks, a thousand. I didn't know there was $1,000 in the world. That's how far away it seemed to me. Now, I've been in school for a month, maybe five weeks, and at best, I wasn't working with Brother Hagen. I, w- I was going to healing school every day and doing the things I was supposed to do, but at best, I'm still just as green as can be where the things of the Word were concerned. I'd heard some of Brother Hagen's teaching and some of his tapes before I got to school, but by and large, I knew next to nothing. I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, but looking back at it, I see how real that is, how true that is. And so now I've got a week to come up with over uh, $1,000, $1,200, something like that. And I had no prospects. There's nobody I can call. And i got to tell you something, folks. I think the best thing to do is to get in a place where you have to trust God because he's the only one that can come through. People that are always looking for somebody else, some natural man, some hand of the flesh to bail them out. I don't see those people exercising real Bible faith. I had nowhere to go. There's nowhere to call. There's no, I don't even, not only is, is $1,200 out of the realm of possibility for me, I don't even know anybody that's got $1,200. Shows you the circle of friends I had. So what am I going to do? Well, there's only one thing to do, and that's believe God. So I got in my shower. Got up in the morning, didn't do anything about it that day. I just kind of thought on it, thought a little bit about what the Word said. Didn't really spend a whole lot of time meditating in the Word, just trying to think my way through. That's what I'm used to doing. I'm used to trying to think my way through my situations. At that point in time, I had not become proficient in asking, what does the Word say? Go into the Word for the answer. I'm, I'm sure I've heard that that's what you're supposed to do, but I don't have any experience in it. And so I got in my shower the next morning. And I said to the Lord, just talking out loud, I live by myself, so I'm talking out loud. And I said, well, Lord, I guess I'm going to have to pray about this. And I just talked it out with him. I said, I don't believe you sent me here to go to school for a month. Why would you send me halfway across the country to go to school for four four or five weeks? 
That just doesn't make sense. So therefore, you intended for me to finish this year out. Now, you knew what the situation was. You knew what I was going to run into. You know I've been diligent and do what I could to, to work and, and make the money I need. And it hadn't come through through no fault of my own. It's been out of my control whatsoever. I haven't been lazy. It's not been my fault. If that was the case, I wouldn't have had any confidence to ask him for help. But I hadn't had anything to do with it. I couldn't have changed this one way or the other. Therefore, I know your word says, what things soever you desire when you pray. I'd gotten that much, Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I believe I receive $1,200 by next Monday. At 8 a.m., I had to have it before school started the next Monday morning. And I believe that I received that $1,200 in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, folks, if I had any feelings, it wasn't a good one. There's no, there's no comfort feeling of, of the presence of God. There's nothing. There's a little bit of lukewarm water dribbling out of a shower head. If I felt anything, it was that. But I thought, back to what I had learned, and I had learned up to that point, that Bible faith says, once it's done, it starts praising God for the answer. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So I just, in the shower, just lifted my hands and said, okay, thank you, Lord. I thank you for $1,200 by next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Thank you that it's done. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Thank you that your word's true. Glory to God. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm probably jazzing it up a little bit for you because it's church. I mean, it was nothing. I had no feeling whatsoever. I didn't have any encouragement from the Lord. Jesus didn't appear and said, don't worry, Mike, we'll get through on this. I have nothing. But then I I just kept going, just kept doing that for, I don't know, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, something like that. It wasn't long, seemed long, but it wasn't long. And the thought came to me. And that thought that came, I remember just as clear as a bell. I've never heard anything so clear in my life. It said, you better pray in tongues about this now. And I started to pick up on that. Well, praying in tongues is a good thing, isn't it? Praying in tongues is a way that you pray out the plans and purposes of God in your life. Praying in tongues is speaking divine secrets to God. Well, boy, there's got to be some secrets about this thing and stuff I don't know. So it seems like a good thing to do, doesn't it? But something on the inside of me. Point number four was instantly obey the voice of your spirit. The voice of my spirit. Something rose up on the inside of me, and I heard myself say this. I didn't really think it out, but I heard myself say this. Lord, I believe your word's true, and because it's true, I'm not going to pray about this one lick in other tongues. Not one second. And as soon as I said that, that voice that came against my mind or came to my mind the first time now says, oh, that's a huge mistake. You better pray in tongues about this. Well, long story short, let me fast forward a week. The money came in. And I learned something that other people tried to talk me out of when I shared it with them. Because I told them. People started, you know, it wasn't not immediately. They weren't, I didn't know too many people. Hadn't made too many friends. 35 years later, still haven't made too many friends. But uh, nevertheless, 
I didn't know too many people there, but there were some folks that I began to share it with along the way, you know, six months later, a year later, whatever the case might be. And I told them what it was. I told them what the situation was, told them what happened. And the things that I remembered the most vividly was not claiming my needs met by the word because there's no feeling attached to that. But there was a feeling that was attached to that voice saying, you better pray in tongues. I remember a feeling attached to that. And I remember it was this sweet, um, not sweet comforting, not comforting type sweet, but syrupy kind of sweet. Looking back at it, I can see that it was a religious feeling. Oh, praying in tongues is a weapon that we have. We better use that. Well, why would I need to pray in tongues if I believe the word is true? Jesus didn't say what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe you receive them and then spend a lot of time praying in tongues over it, you'll have it. He knew tongues was coming, didn't he? Yet when it comes to receiving by faith through the prayer of faith, he didn't say a word about praying in tongues, did he? I've looked back at that and, and I've had I've had people over the years, even even recently, I've had people when I shared that story say, Pastor Mike, I don't understand that. That's so unscriptural. Well, you can't find a scripture that says the prayer of faith doesn't speak in tongues, but you can't find one that says that it does either. Now, I know for a fact, if I had prayed in tongues over that thing, I would have lost the victory because I struggled with it all week. All that week, I'm going to prayer school and the person that was running the prayer school said, I just feel like this week we need to pray for our own needs. Now, every other week the prayer school had ever been run, we'd always prayed for either the country or we'd prayed for people to come to healing school. Or in that case, there was a special seminar going on that week. We'd have prayed for the seminar. One time and the only time that's ever happened in the, in the history of the school, as far as I know, was that week. And I'd start praying about things. And I'd say, well, I don't care what other people are praying for. I'm not going to pray for my needs. I believe God meets my needs according to his word, and that's it. So I started praying about something else, but you know how it works. Your mind starts drifting over to yourself. I started thinking about the voice started coming to my head. How much money you got? Well, I don't have any more money than I had before. How much time is left? <laughs> One day less than it was yesterday when you asked me. Time's running short. I started thinking about how fast the mail works. There wouldn't even be any, any time, any opportunity for the mail to get you any money if somebody knew you had a problem. All these things are coming to my mind. And I catch myself praying in tongues, thinking about this, and I stop myself and say, nope, 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 stop this, stop this. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Worry tried to get a hold of me, but I caught it, stopped it. Go back to praying for the country, praying for other people or whatever. I struggle with that day after day after day. But I'll ask you the question again, folks. If the word is true, and I believe I received the $1,200 by next Monday morning, what is there to pray in tongues over in that situation? Now, it's good to pray in tongues. It's always good to pray in tongues because the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up spiritually. But concerning my situation and the money that I needed, what do I need to pray in tongues about? Is the word not enough? Is faith in God's word not enough when, when Jesus said that it was? So I struggled with it. I fought against it all week long. Long story short, the money came in. I had it on Saturday. Took it in on Monday morning. Shocked everybody there. Everybody had already given up. It was kind of an office pool. Who's going to make it out of this group and who's not? And I was on the who's not group. Shocked everybody in the bunch. Then some years later, I heard Brother Hagin say this. 
I heard him talk about it in 1938. He got healed in 1934 and entered the ministry in that same year. I heard him say that four years after he had been healed, he's, at a, he's pastoring a church, full gospel denomination, and this denomination had a convention, a state convention in Texas. Raymond T. Ritchie was the speaker, as he normally was, because he was from Texas, still alive in those days. And so in 1938, Brother Hagin says that he went to this convention and he started having some heart symptoms, an irregular heartbeat and some of the, the heart flutter things that he had and it had been healed of four years earlier. And he said in this, uh, this convention, Brother Ritchie started laying hands on the sick, as he was uh, wont to do. He normally did this. He had a healing ministry, and so that was the, the emphasis of his ministry. And he would always pray for the sick by anointing them with oil. And Brother Hagin said he's sitting back in the back of this convention center or wherever they had the meeting. And uh, uh, Brother Richie started praying for the sick. And a voice came to Brother Hagin and said, said this. He said that it told him, you ought to go up there and have him lay hands on you for healing. Brother Hagin hesitated for just a moment, just a moment, I mean a second, and the voice said, you know, you've never been anointed with oil. Brother Hagin said, I started to get up and go down there and then caught myself and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't need to go down there. I've already received my healing by faith. I received it four years ago. I don't need to go down there. There's no need for me to go be anointed with oil whatsoever. Now, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having somebody pray and believe God with you or lay hands on you or whatever the case is. But he's already received by faith four years earlier. Brother Hagin said this. He said, if I had listened to that voice, I would have lost everything I had. He said, but when I refused to do it and said, no, I don't need to do it. Healing's already mine. I received it four years ago. He said, the symptoms went away instantly. Then I heard him say this. He said, a lot of people receive their healing by having hands laid on them. And a lot of people lose it by having the hands laid on them. He said, I'd lost everything I had. Have you ever noticed over in Mark chapter 4? The story of the sower sowing the word. The whole, pur- the whole purpose of that story is he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse, about verse 25, Jesus said this. We usually quit before we get to that verse. But verse 25 says something like this. To him that hath, meaning hath ears to hear, shall more be given. But to him that hath not, hath not ears to hear, in other words, from him shall be taken away even in what he has. Now let me ask you a question. How many people do you know in that situation would have refused to go do something the Bible says is biblical? How many people do you know of in that situation that would have said, no, no, no. Faith in God's word is sufficient. I've already believed that I received by faith. And so therefore I have it. It's mine. There's no need for me to do that. Yet that was the key issue as far as Brother Hagin was concerned. According to his testimony, he said that was the key issue over whether or not those symptoms came back to stay or, or whether or not they left once and for all forever. Now, in both my situation and the situation Brother Hagin described, the voice of our spirits stood up against the devil, even when the devil sometimes quotes scriptural principles and even sometimes quotes the Bible itself. There was something on the inside, which was the voice of our own spirits, that kept us from making a crucial mistake. If Folks, if I hadn't finished school, if I hadn't gotten the money for, to finish school, the course of my life would have been altered. I have no idea what I, where I would have wound up, but I wouldn't be here. And it seems like, I, I, I can't get away from this thought, it seems like I've thought this all my life. It seems like on the important things like that, I mean real 
crossroads in life, God, God would give you something extra to, to get you over and make sure you went on the right path, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem that way to you? Doesn't it seem like with Brother Hagin that the Lord would have appeared to him and said, don't go up there. If he got halfway up, and the Lord would have appeared in the aisle and said, don't go up there, you'll lose your healing. It's not the way it works. God lets you decide. God lets you choose your own path. The problem with so many people that are trying to receive their healing is they're going around and trying to get everybody in the country to pray for them. They're trying to get something that the Bible says already belongs to them. Let me tell you a story. But any of you ever heard of T.L. Osborne? Ever heard of his wife, Daisy? Well, they were a dynamite couple. She was stronger than he was, to be honest with you. They'd go into foreign countries and, and walk in there and own the place. And sometimes T.L. wouldn't go and she'd go and she'd have a better result than he would if he went. I mean, it was a miraculous thing. God put them together and gave them a ministry together. Well, about in, uh, I don't know, early 90s, 91, 92, somewhere around there, she came to uh, to Ramah and gave a testimony about how she had been healed from cancer. Now, maybe the, her closest friends had known, but the public, nobody knew that she was dealing with anything or going through anything at all. And she got to the point of death. She was bedridden for the last, uh, well, she had been bedridden for three months. And this cancer had progressed into her kidney. And uh, rather than taking it out, they had uh, put some kind of shunt, I don't know if uh, shunt, stent, I don't know what the difference is, but the, 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 the valve that they put in your arm or your leg or something like that where they can put the chemotherapy in and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and there was a line going straight to her, her kidney. They were trying to revive it. It was dead. It was not, not producing anything, not operating, but they were trying to, to, to restart it and that kind of stuff, and, and she was on morphine, daily doses of morphine for the pain and, and that kind of stuff, just getting no better fast. This thing had progressed month after month after month, and finally for the last three months she had been bed fast. She said her testimony was that the turning point for her was that she asked herself one day, she'd get uh, somebody to come read the word for her. She's too weak to do it herself. But she'd get somebody to come in and read the word for her. And she had a little tape going where the, the scripture could be playing and, and that kind of stuff. She had certain tapes queued up. Um, you know, the ministry had set up certain healing scripture tapes and stuff like that for her. So she was listening to this stuff. And she said, one day, I'm laying in bed, and one day it dawned on her that the Bible says, by Jesus' stripes, we were healed. Now she's trying to get she's trying to get the people that that she trusts, the people that are close to her, to pray and agree with her and things like that. It wasn't widely known. Brother Hagen didn't know anything about it until he heard the testimony. So they hadn't gone to uh, very far in their in their uh, you know search for people to pray and agree with them. But she said one day it struck her, by Jesus' stripes I am healed. So she asked herself, she said, now, wait a minute, if I'm healed, that means it's mine now. If it's mine now, I ought to be acting like it's mine now. So she said this, she asked herself this, what would I be doing if I was well? Well, this time of day, I'd be I'd be making up the bed. So she struggled, said almost passed out trying to get out of bed. She said, I struggled to get out of bed. And when I struggled to get out of bed, I started working on, you know, making up the bed. She said, I wound up laying across it because I couldn't stand up, stretching up the covers this way and that way. But I'm making an effort. 
She said, I wound up getting my husband to take me back to the doctor and I told the doctor, take this thing out of me, take this line out of my kidney. He said, oh, no, no, that line is the only thing that's keeping your kidney going. Your kidney is really dead. It's only this that's giving us any hope whatsoever. That kidney's dead. She said, no, my kidney's not dead. God knew that we needed two of them, so he gave me two and they're working just fine in Jesus' name. So they pulled the lines, the chemotherapy, shunt, stents, whatever they're called, all out of her. She said, I began to struggle day after day after day, just struggle to get out of bed. She said, I'd go try to fix my husband something to eat. She said, I'd have to, had to make a, a path where she could go from one chair to another chair to something else to hang on to from room to room. She said, I'm just trying to keep myself upright. And every day was a struggle. But the end of that struggle was she was healed. The end of that struggle was her faith brought her through. The end of that struggle was when she began to act like what the Bible says was hers is really hers, that's when she got the victory. Doctor said she wasn't going to make it. Same doctor pronounced her completely healed. Now, what made the difference? She said the difference for her was when she started acting like the word was true. See, so many people are trying to get what, they, what the Bible says they've already got. You'll never be successful trying to get what the Bible says you already have. How are you going to get what you've already got? Thing that amazes me is the difference in people. Now, what makes one person puts one person in a position to where they receive it, where one person says, no, here's what the word says. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to rely on anybody else. I'm going to accept the word for what it says and act like it's true. And the other person that just gives up and dies. Or the other person that seeks, continues to seek for people to pray for them, lay hands on them, agree with them, whatever the case is. And all those are good spiritual scriptural principles. But the person that continues to do other things, trying to obtain something, trying to take hold of something that the Bible says is theirs, what makes that difference? Folks, there's only one difference. And that is the one that receives, the one that operates in victory, is the one that's listening to the voice of their spirit. Now, whether you know it or not, the voice of your spirit is your conscience. Conscience is the voice of the spirit. Feelings are the voice of the body. And reason is the voice of the soul or the mind. And so often we're so used to listening to reason that we ignore the voice of our spirits. Now, your, your conscience is affected by the things you observe and by the things that you're taught and by the things that you associate with. Are you familiar with uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2? Let me read something to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Paul is, uh, is informing Timothy of something that I think applies in a lot more ways than just what Paul is getting at. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days, latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, folks, we hear those words, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and we think, oh, man, the work of the devil. Seducing, that has to do with sex. That must mean sex. Well, a lot of people do fall to sexual temptation. And certainly that's the work of the devil. But notice the end result is departing from the faith. What does departing from the faith mean? Does that automatically mean somebody is uh, somebody that's saved goes to hell? Somebody that was once saved loses their salvation and goes to hell? 
Is that the only thing that departing from the faith can mean? Or is it possible that departing from the faith could also mean somebody that once believed God for an answer now starts looking to something else for their answer? That'd be departing from the faith, wouldn't it? That would mean in, in any level, on any, uh, in any measure, on any level, it would mean to turn away from God as your answer to something else. And notice what causes that to happen. You're seduced. Now, how is a person seduced? Well, the Bible talks about how a man is seduced by a woman or a woman is seduced by a man, and that is through wrong words, usually words of flattery, that gets them thinking wrong things. So seducing spirits are just things that make you think wrong. There's no big bugaboo to seducing spirits. It just means a work of the devil to teach you, to instruct you, to associate you with something that leads you to think contrary to what God's Word says. And thinking contrary to the Word would be a departure from the faith, wouldn't it? Well, what about doctrines of devils? Oh, that's a work of the devil. What does the devil do? How does the devil work in your life? Bringing wrong thoughts, bringing circumstances to influence you to turn away from the Word, to let go of the Word, the, the, the truth of the Word that you know, isn't it? See, we put such... Well, I don't know. Maybe it's the culture. Maybe it's the Hollywood culture where we see so many demon and devil movies and stuff like that that we see anything. Doctrines of devils. Oh, boy. Folks, let me tell you what a doctrine of the devil is. One example of the doctrine of the devil is that God makes people sick. Now, you're not afraid of that one, are you? You shouldn't be. But what keeps you from being afraid of that? Knowing the truth. Yeah, but what if somebody, somebody that you really respect, what if it's a more famous preacher, the most famous preacher in the world, what if they tell you that that's true? Well, okay, you've got an opportunity to follow them into that wrong thinking if you want to. But does that really make you afraid? Shouldn't. Why? Because you're the one that makes the choice for you. Folks, I don't care if every preacher on the face of the earth stands up tomorrow and says, we've all decided that God sometimes makes people sick. I'm not going for it. Are you? Well, those of you that won't go for it, won't go for it for one and only one reason, and that is because you know what the Word says otherwise. So you're not going to be seduced into thinking the wrong thing. You're not going to be taught the wrong thing and turn away from the Word, are you? In other words, you're not going to depart from the faith, that faith which is based on the knowledge of God's Word. Right? Now, in the latter days, let me read it again. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some, not all, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Speaking lies in hypocrisy means they're doing it for, for uh, popularity's sake. They're saying things that they won't live by because they know that saying them is popular. Can I give you a, a good um, uh, common example? of this in the world that we live in? Look at the left upset at the rich people, all the while living like the rich people. Look at all this propaganda out in our world today about the one percenters. When every one of them wants to be a one percenter, or at least live like it. And so many of them are politicians that are living like it, yet they get out on the campaign trail and they say, we've got to do something about the evil corporations. You mean the ones that are financing your campaign? 
or the ones financing the other side's campaign. Folks, it happens in religious circles, too. It happens among preachers, too. You go back in the in the 50s during the Hebrew revival. Some of the preachers that were preaching the most against greed were the ones that were taking money out of the bag. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Why would they do that? Notice this last phrase. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Why do people do that? Why do people depart from the faith? Why are people willing to speak lies and hypocrisy? Why are they willing to speak against? I had somebody tell me this one time. They said, if you ever want to know a preacher's secret sin, just look at what they preach against. Now think of the preachers that we know of that have fallen just in our lifetime and how true that is. Why would somebody do that? Because their conscience becomes seared. In other words, they stop listening to the voice of their spirit. Now, how does your conscience get seared? You know, I, I uh, when I was a, a teenager, a kid down the street had a had a great big yard. We were in Birmingham, Alabama, or outside of Birmingham, Alabama, where the the uh, a normal sized lot was anywhere three quarters an acre or bigger. Well, this guy had about five acres. His uh, his parents had about five acres, and so in the back, way back in the back, there was a little stand of trees, and on the other side of the stand of trees, that his dad had made him a mini bike trail. And he had a couple of mini bikes. We'd get out there and we'd run those mini bikes. We'd run them hour after hour from sun up till sundown if we could get away with it. Just hour after hour after hour. Well, after running these things for a couple of hours, there was a little bean muffler that was about that big, and that muffler would get white hot. Just white hot. Well, we were running around these things racing. And there was one curve that I hit a bump or hit something. I don't know what happened. But anyway, I got off center. And when I got off center, I, I threw my leg back, or my leg was thrown back. And that hit that muffler. And man, before I even felt it, I knew I was in trouble because I heard it go. And then the pain registered. And oh, my goodness. I never really had too much pain in my life. But man, I can still feel how I felt that day. It felt like it burned me all the way to the bone. I didn't. It just took some flesh off. But to this day, there is a place where a scar when scar tissue has covered that over, and you could take a pen, you could take a knife and stick something straight in there, and unless you get deep enough to where that thing had already burned through, I cannot feel a thing. My kids heard me say that one time. They came home and got out a knife and said, Dad, let's try. <laughs> Not a chance. I did let them poke me with the needle a little bit to see that I was telling the truth, but that was about it. Well, that's what people do to their conscience. Their conscience gets seared over to where it becomes scar tissue. They don't hear from their their own heart. They don't hear the leading of the Holy Ghost on the inside of them. Now, think of it this way. Just let's put in, uh, use a natural example about this. How many people do you know that start off drinking that plan to be an alcoholic? But they get there one drink at a time, don't they? How many people start taking drugs with the idea that I'm going to do this and one of these days it's going to cost me my home and my marriage and everything, my job and everything that I have, my reputation and everything, but bless God, I'm going to do this. Nobody starts off like that. They start off thinking they can handle it. They start off thinking, oh, it won't be any big deal. Other people may have a hard time with it, but not me. And then drink by drink or drug use by drug use, Little by little by little, 
And I'm talking about Christians now. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about a Christian doing this. Everywhere along the way, every drink, every use of drugs, whatever it is, every step along the way, their heart is telling them, don't do this. This is not the thing for you to do. But they ignore it once, twice, a thousand times, a million times, whatever it is, to the point where their spirit doesn't even seem like it's talking to them anymore. Now, I'm convinced that the Holy Ghost on the inside of us always prompts us to do the right thing, even after we've stopped listening. But the reality is, if you ignore that voice long enough, you won't even be aware that it's there any longer. That's what he's talking about. Having their conscience seared is with a hot iron. That's why if you associate with the wrong things, you're not going to hear the voice of your spirit. It's amazed me, always has amazed me, how people would come and get blessed and hear the truth of the word, maybe even get their healing, and go back to a church that would tell them what they got was of the devil. And I've never yet seen one of those people that keep what they got. In most situations, they come back a number of months later and they're in worse shape than they were when they started. And they can't understand it. Oh, Pastor Mike, I received my healing. At least I thought I did. Maybe I didn't because now, now it's worse than ever. Well, the reason it's worse than ever is because you went back to somebody that told you that what you got wasn't of God and you began to believe that. So you associate with the wrong things or the wrong people and you're going to lose what you have. He that hath shall more be given and to him that hath not ears to hear shall be taken even that which he has. You observe the wrong things and it'll get a hold of you. I don't care how saved you are. You watch pornography and the pornography will have an impact on you. It'll impact you. Because what you observe becomes part of you. I knew that would get a lot of amens. But it's absolutely the truth. What you hear taught, you hear it long enough, you'll begin to believe it. No matter how ungodly it is. No matter where the source of that teaching is from. Because your conscience is influenced by your observations, your associations, and your teachings. Do you remember the Bible says in, uh, what is it, Proverbs 18, 21, I believe it is. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. One translation says, people have died for saying the wrong things. Folks, I'm here to tell you that if you'll feed your spirit on the truth of the Word of God, if you'll feed your spirit by meditating on the Word, by being a doer of the Word, by putting the Word first place, giving the Word first place in your life, then you'll be in a position to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Your conscience will be a safe guide. Now, your conscience is not a safe guide if it's not fed on the Word. Because your conscience is influenced by the, by, by the spirit of the world. Your, your conscience is influenced by the activities and the experiences that you had before you started putting the word or trying to, to give attention to the word, before you found out that the blessings of God were what they were. And so without attention to the word, your conscience will be an unsafe guide because you won't know how to listen to your spirit. Most people in that situation, their conscience just goes along with their reasoning Or at least can't overpower their reasoning. And so people are just following their souls. Which explains, in my opinion, the lack of success in most Christians' lives. Because they're not building their lives on the Word. 
And there is no spiritual success. There is no spiritual development. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. I don't care what experience you've got. I, I, again, I can't tell you how many times people come tell me. There was a guy that came to us the other night. He said, oh, Pastor Mike, I heard what you taught on Sunday morning. And man, it just changed my life. And everybody wants to tell me their story. And so he said, let me tell you my story. Eighteen years ago, I had this, that, and the other experience. And so I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't speak with tongues. Now, his friend's standing there, and he said, uh, he said uh, then he asked this. He said, I want, to, I want you to tell me. Now, I, and I talked to my pastor about it. My pastor said that if you don't speak with tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And there was a bunch of stuff he told him that was wrong, too. But anyway, he said, I want you to cor- correct this for me. I thought, why in the world do I want to get involved in this? So he asked me again. He said, is my pastor right in what he said? I said, well, yes and no. I told him about the difference in the Holy Spirit in salvation and the Holy Spirit in filling. I said, but you really haven't asked me the real question you need to ask. And I said this, why are you trying not to speak in tongues? Now, I said, remember, you came to me. I didn't come to you. I didn't come out there to where you're sitting. I said, but remember, you came to me. I said this. I said, the Bible says that when the apostles were all filled with the Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues. Why would you not want that? Do you know what the Bible says about speaking with other tongues? He said, well, I'm not sure. I said, it says when you speak in other tongues, you edify yourself. That means you build yourself up in spiritual strength. It says you speak divine secrets before God. I said, why wouldn't you want that? And bless that guy's heart. He was determined that he was going to be filled with the Spirit without speaking with other tongues. And I said, okay, it's all right with me. I said, if you've got all of God you want, that's, that's okay with me. If you don't want any more of God, that's all right with me. It's not going to affect me one bit. He said, well, no, I, I don't like it when you say it that way. I said, well, that's exactly what it is. You've got all of God you want. You want to say that you're filled with the Spirit even though you don't speak with tongues? I said, have you got a different salvation experience than they had? Talking about the apostles? I said, well, no, I don't think so. I said, well, have you got the same evidence of salvation that they had? You got the fruit of the Spirit? He said, oh, yeah. I said, then why would you look for a different experience than they had when it comes to being filled with the Spirit? They were filled with the Spirit and spoke with tongues. Why do you want something different? Bless that guy's heart. He just shook his head. He said, well, I just don't like it when you say it that way. I said, well, remember, you came to me. It amazes me why people try to talk themselves out of what the Bible says. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Folks, there's no greater, in, in my opinion... The number one reason that God wanted to bring the life of God to you is so that he could live in you, abide in you, and guide you. He wants you to have an unfair advantage over the world. That's why he gave you the Holy Ghost, the greater one, to live on the inside of you. But the Holy Ghost can't guide you apart from the Word. He didn't have anywhere to take you. If you won't spend time in the Word, if you won't give the Word first place in your life, if you won't meditate in the Word to make it a part of your spirit... He doesn't have anywhere to guide you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The Holy Ghost will guide you according to the word. And not according to anything else. Say this after me. The Holy Ghost lives in me. 
Therefore, I have a supernatural guide. He guides me into the truth. He guides me into the word. He guides me into all reality. And through the word of God, he shows me things to come. You know what we need to do? We need to spend some time talking about wisdom. Because the difference in the person that hears. Well, how do I want to say that? Let me say it. Let me use the examples that I use. The reason that Brother Hagin didn't go to the front to have hands laid on him and therefore lost his healing was wisdom. He distinguished between the idea that seemed to be a scriptural idea, but just not from God. Because of wisdom. Now, I had no idea what was going on with me at the time. But the reason that I chose not to speak with other tongues over my financial need was wisdom. You know what the Bible says the beginning of wisdom is? Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What makes the difference in people being successful or people being failures? The fear of the Lord. The attention that they give to the Word of God. You can't fear God and not fear His Word, can you? Word fear means reverence. doesn't mean to be afraid of. If you reverence God, that means you reverence His Word, doesn't it? How can you reverence God without reverencing His Word? God and His Word are one. It all goes back. It would be interesting for you to do a study on the fear of the Lord. Find out all the things the Bible says belongs to you through the fear of the Lord. Find out what the Word says that fear of the Lord is. You go back to the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is defined as keeping His commandments. It says long life belongs to those who keep His commandments. Those who fear the Lord. It says riches and honor belong to those who fear the Lord. It says you prolong your days by the fear of the Lord. In other words, the keeping of his commandments. In other words, even in the old covenant, the keeping of the word of God or the keeping of his commandments was considered the fear of the Lord. And it brought blessing after blessing after blessing. Even under the old covenant, God said without the without the guide on the inside, God said, you give the word first place and look at all the things I'll do for you. I'd hate to put a number on the percentage of Christians who give proper attention to the Word of God. I'd hate to put a number on that. I expect that number is real high in this church because that's what you value. But church-wide, worldwide, my goodness. I think it would be embarrassingly low. In that sense, or looking at things from that perspective, we should not only, we should not be amazed at how weak the church is, how powerless the church is worldwide. We should be amazed at what God's able to do with us at all. Man, look how big a God God is to be able to work with such a small percentage of people that put the word first place. You know, one of the signs of the end is disobedience to parents. You realize, therefore, that that's the spirit of the world, don't you? That's been in the church for decades. Folks that are disobedient to their heavenly father. Now, they say they love God. They say they love God with all their hearts. But they won't keep his word. They won't give attention to the word. They won't give the word first place in their lives. 
They won't make the doing of the Word and the building of the Word in their spirits the business of their life. Kind of hurts to think of it that way, doesn't it? It's exactly the truth. Well, I'm over time. We better stop. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Search us out, Lord. Holy Spirit, guide us. Guide us into the reality of your, your word. Guide us into the reality of those things that we have in wrong place, improper priorities in our lives. Show us areas of our lives, Father, that we can put the word first and be doers of the word. Teach us, Lord, the fear of the Lord. Reverencing you, therefore reverencing your word. That the blessing of the Lord can be ours in every area. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Guide us. Lead us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, forgive me for going over time. God bless you. Have a good week.